right. Well, we are going to um, be in the book of Daniel today, um, Daniel chapter 3. And so we're going to get to that here in a little bit, but I just want to give you the heads up so you can go ahead and turn to it in your Bibles or open it up on version. Daniel chapter 3 today. So um, got some, I have some bad news just to start off the, uh, the message with, and uh, it's always great to start off on a down note, but um, I, I, just, I just need to prepare you guys for something because uh, you, you're probably not aware. And I feel it's my responsibility as a pastor, as a leader, to make you guys aware of this. But there are 67 days left until Christmas. 67 days, that's two months. That's like eight, nine weeks or something like something. 67 days until Christmas. I'm not ready for that. You're not ready for that. You know, the Christmas, the Christmas decorations are here. Pretty soon there's going to be that radio station that only plays Christmas. It's coming, people. The hol- Brace yourselves. The holidays are coming. And so... One of the things that's great about the holidays, though, is family get-together. Well, depending on your family, it may not be so great. But, um, you know, whether you like it or not, we have family get-togethers over the holidays. And isn't there always that one family member that's kind of like the storyteller of the family? And what I love is that in our family, that storyteller, the older he gets, the more interesting those stories become. You know, and and the, the stories either fall into, like, one of two categories. Either those stories are, like, amazing you know, they're like, I can't believe you went through that, Grandpa. Or they just start to sound like the ramblings of someone who is becoming disgruntled with modern society. You know, like, um, for all of, for all, I can't, you know, some of you are going to be like, I can't believe you're going to reference this TV show in church. But, you know, for your Simpsons fans, you know, it's like you're having dinner with Grandpa Simpson. You know what I'm talking about? And he's just like railing against modern things like the metric system. Back in my day, my car got 40 rods to the hog's head, and that's the way I likes it, you know? Like, what are you talking about, Grandpa? And, and so, um, you know, it can, it can go one of two ways, and those stories just kind of get longer and longer, and you think they're done, and then they start right back in on the story. It's like, oh, we're still, we're still talking about this. Okay, um, go, go ahead and, and continue, um, I guess, Grandpa. And, and so, you know, these, these stories just kind of go on, and, and so that's the way it kind of goes down at the Surratt household. Um, so true confession time. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read through the Old Testament, it can kind of feel like I'm sitting down with Grandpa, and, and that um, some of the stories in the Old Testament are amazing. You know, like we just got done spending two weeks talking about David and Goliath. David and Goliath, that's an amazing story. That is cool. You know, the little guy goes up against the big guy. It's the Cinderella story. Takes him down, takes out the sword, chops off his head, you know, all of that manly, manly stuff, amazing story. But then there's other parts in the Old Testament to me that... that like, I, don't, I just don't get, you know, they just don't, I don't know why it's in there. Like, if you've read through the book of Leviticus, you know, it's like, okay, I, the man, we, all right, we're still talking about how to build the temple. Okay, well, I, I guess we'll just keep going. And, you know, sometimes that there's things in the Old Testament that's real easy to see the application. It's real easy to see the modern-day relevance. But then sometimes in the Old Testament, there's things that just seem antiquated. They, they seem primitive. They seem old. They seem just like things... In the past. And one of the major themes of the Old Testament that may seem this way is the theme of idolatry. I mean, you know, because for today in our modern context, idolatry seems so primitive. I mean, we understand it when we're talking about stuff that happened, you know, in 4000 BC and people praying to golden statues and calves and things like this. And and it kind of makes sense. But in our modern context, it's weird because we don't know anybody who has like a statue of a cow 
in their, you know, living room that they pray to, or they have a statue of, of some, like, half-man eagle thing, although that would kind of be cool, you know, um, you know, some half-man eagle thing, you know, that they actually believe is a god, you know, that they actually believe is, like, a deity, and they pray to, and if they pray to it, they're going to get things and power, you know, that, that's, like, real foreign and, and real um, strange, maybe, to us today, so it's easy for us to dismiss the concept of idolatry as something that belongs in the past, something that, you know, primitive people and, and people who aren't as educated and, and don't know as much about how the world works believed in, but for us today has no context. For us today has no application. Well, today I want to look at uh, some things because idolatry was, it was a big stinking deal in the Old Testament. I mean, every time Israel got in trouble with God, it was usually over the issue of idolatry. In fact, idolatry is number one and number two on God's top ten list. The Ten Commandments, number one and number two, he committed to the concept of idolatry. Idol the, the subject of idolatry appears more than 50 times in the first five books alone in the Bible. There are four sins in Judaism that deserve the death penalty, and idolatry is one of them. And so it was a big stinking deal to the people of Israel and in the Old Testament, this issue of idolatry. But like I said, it can seem like far removed from us today. Well, I want to I ask you this question, that what if idolatry isn't just a primitive notion of the past? What if it isn't just something that was, you know, left to history books and these old stories, that, you know, the old grandpa stories of the Old Testament? But what if today there are idols, there are little g gods that fight, that are fighting today for our affection, for our attention, and for our devotion? Author Oz Guinness says it this way. I love this quote. He says, idolatry is huge in the Bible, dominant in our personal lives, and irrelevant in our mistaken estimations. Idolatry is huge in the Bible, dominant in our personal lives, and irrelevant in our mistaken estimations. What he's basically saying is idolatry is a lot bigger of a deal today, right now, than we think it is. But the thing is, is we, we don't get that because the idols that we face today don't look religious. Like, there's, there's not that person that's saying, you know, it's like, well, I'm a Christian, you know, I'm a Muslim. Well, I, I'm, a, I'm a Taoist, you know, I pray to this golden cow. It's like, what? You know, th that would be so foreign and, and so absolutely, you know, there's no shrines. We don't know anyone that goes to a shrine where they pray to some golden statue and, and has an idol. And so it seems far removed. It seems like um, it's not something that is in our modern context. But I would submit to you today that the things that become idols in our lives are, are not, um, not so obvious in our, in our culture. They're not so obvious in our lives. And matter of fact, they're things that probably aren't even bad at all. They're things that are, are, we use every day. They're things that we, um, we need. They're things that we need to survive. They're, they're good things. But the problem is good things in the wrong place can become bad news. And what we're talking about today is this concept of position. See, position is key. What position things take place in your life is key. I don't know if you've heard of this thing called death by decimal. But it's kind of this medical thing where um, if you get 0.1 milligrams of a medication, you know, maybe that's your dose. But if you read the decimal wrong and you give someone 10 milligrams of a medicine, you probably just killed them. You know, uh, another um, example of uh, death by decimal. So my mom, 
just got this brand new car. Not brand new, but I helped her get a new car because she told her other one because she probably shouldn't be driving, but that's another story. Um, and so I, I got, we got her this car. It's this little Ford Fiesta. I got her the smallest thing I could find because um, it's, it's, just, it's just bad news. And um, so anyways, so she, she calls me the other night, and she's freaking out because she's just convinced someone has messed with her odometer because she's like, Daniel, I drove, how, how, how far is it? And I'm, I'm not going to do the Asian accent because it's, it's just wrong. But, um, you know, she, she, um, she's like, I drove from 91st to 21st. How far is that? You know, I'm like, I don't know, six miles. And she's like, well, my odometer says I went 60 miles. My thing says I went, are they, they're trying to mess with, someone messed with my car, Daniel. And, and all that to find out, she had it set on her tripometer. And, you know, the trip has, it keeps track of miles and tenths. And so what she thought was, 60 miles was really just six miles. And, um, you know, I, I, I think of myself as a good communicator, but, man, it was hard to try to articulate that to her over the phone about this concept. See, a decimal place makes a big difference what position it's in. And I would submit to you today that there are many things in our lives that are good things, that are okay things, but when they, be take, when they take the wrong position, when they take the wrong place in our life, when these things start vying for spots that only God can occupy, only God should occupy, they become dangerous, they become idols. And so I want to look at a few of them today. Uh, this is not um, an exhaustive list by any stretch of the imagination here, but um, I think they're just, just some things to kind of get the conversation started for us today. And so um, I, brought, I brought my giant box of idols here. I'm going to slide her on out. So the first um, idol I think that we, uh, we face today that, that many of us have, and we're going to get the easy one out of the way, is, is money. Money can easily become an idol in our life. And I want to ask some questions as I bring these out just to try to identify whether or not these things might be idols in our life. So money is the first one. So, so let me ask you, what is your source of security? Where does your security come from? Does it come from God or does it come from when this is full? Because it's so easily for money to become a source of security that we feel secure when this is full, but when this is not full, all of a sudden we feel insecure, we feel threatened, we feel vulnerable. To what extent are my dreams and my goals driven by this? How many times do we drive down the road and we start daydreaming, you know, if I won the lottery, my life would be great. I would have all the things that I want. Then my life would be full. Or maybe it's, it's more subtle than that. Maybe we have this feeling of when I reach a certain place with this, then my life can begin. When I, re when I finally get out of debt, then I can start giving. When I finally get those bills paid off, then I can start being a more generous person. When I finally get that promotion and I get a little bit more of this, then it'll feel, then my life will really begin. But, but until this is, you know, where it needs to be, then, then my life is not really, I feel like I'm not really living my life. Well, that's not a position that this is supposed to occupy. What is my attitude towards giving? Is my attitude towards giving cheerful or is my attitude towards giving, hey, I need this. This is mine. This is mine. This is, this is important to me. So that first idol that maybe uh, we look at is the idol of money. The second idol that, that I want to talk about today is, is maybe there's, there's a different type of idol in your life. Maybe, maybe it's this kind of idol. Maybe it's food. Where, and, and the question I would ask you here is where do I get my comfort? 
Where does my comfort come from? Does my, am I always looking for a pick-me-up at the end of the day? Am I always looking for a, a treat to seal the day in my day? doesn't feel complete, especially if I've had a hard day and I've had a long day. And the only thing I want maybe is, is some Rocky Road ice cream or some cookies and cream or, or some Oreo or whatever it is. Or maybe it's French fries or maybe there's a certain thing, there's a certain junk food. And it's like I need that to be comforted. I want to ask you, are we eating more for pleasure or for nourishment? It's that old saying, do I eat to live or do I live to eat? We just prayed about the Holy Spirit being the comforter, but so oftentimes we don't look to that. We look maybe to the cheap, easy fix to get our comfort. The second one can be food. The third idol that maybe um, some of us can deal with, and once again, these are not bad things. We're just talking about position here, is success. By the way, uh, I want to thank Stan for letting me borrow his, um, his trophy. Um, I have, I have trophies, but I just didn't think my bowling trophies would look as cool and, and serve, the same, <laughs> serve the same point. And besides, I think they're in my mom's attic or something. Um, wow, that sounded dorky. Okay, keep moving, Daniel. Keep moving. So, success. Where do I find my identity? Where do I find my identity? Am I envious of successful people when I see people that are doing better than me, when I see people that have more than me, when I see people that are a higher position than me? Am I envious of them or, or, or does it not really affect me that much? Do I constantly feel like I don't measure up? Do I constantly feel like I'm not as good as another person because I haven't achieved the same level of success as they have? Maybe am I constantly finding out how to keep score and then trying to keep score? I'm always looking at my, uh, the houses that people post on Facebook or the cars that they're driving or the clothes that they're wearing or the neighborhoods that they're living in or the title that they got or the promotion that they got. Am I constantly measuring myself up against other people to see how I'm doing versus how they're doing? Where does my identity come from. Or maybe I don't put that pressure on myself, but maybe I put this pressure on my kids. Maybe I put this pressure on my kids that I have to dress them a certain way, or I have to get them into a certain school. They have to make that team, or they have to get a certain grade. Where does my identity come from? Does it come from being found in Christ, or does it come from the success that I've made? Does it come from the things that I've tried to build up and achieve? Another idol I think that we face today, ooh, this is a little heavier than I thought it would be, is the idol of entertainment. I want to ask you, what are the things in life that you're passionate about? Now, once again, there's nothing wrong with having hobbies and having things that make us excited. But I want to ask you, when and where do you exhibit the most passion in your life? You know, we just got done with an amazing worship set. Uh, and, um, you know, I, we get a chance as worship leaders to see everyone engage. And some of you guys are real demonstrative in how you engage in worship. You come in, you're full of passion for what we're singing and talking about. And some of you, you come in, it's, it's just real reserved, you know. It's kind of standing back. And, and you say, you know, if, if I were to ask you one-on-one, -on -one, you might say, well, Daniel, I'm not really an emotional person. You know, I, I don't really, I'm not that, I'm just kind of, I'm calm. Still waters, man, I'm deep. I just, I run deep. Which, which is cool, except that, you know, if you were at Boone Pickens yesterday and screaming until your voice got hoarse and painted up and, and without a shirt on or maybe it was at your kid's game or, or maybe it's, it's that you stayed up until the wee hours of the morning, you know, playing, playing your Xbox or playing your PlayStation or being on your phone and you're exhibiting passion there but you come in and hear and say, uh, well, I'm just not a passionate person. I'm just not an emotional person. I want to ask you, what things in life have your passion? What things in life have your, do you spend more time relaxing? Do you spend more time zoning out than you do maybe building up yourself or, or learning about things in your faith or developing yourself, becoming better? 
Does entertainment have you? And so what are the things in life that we're passionate about? Finally, the, the last one that I kind of want to hit on today is the idol of sex. By the way, um, I don't know if you appreciate how hard it is to find a prop for this subject that is appropriate to show in church. People, we spent time thinking about what to put up here because <laughs> it, was, it was dangerous. But, but this, wh- where do you find your satisfaction in life? Wh- wh- where does your satisfaction come from? Does it come from being found in God or is it, is it always related around something physical? Is it always related? What, what thoughts dominate your thoughts life, your thought life? What, what things do you search for on the internet when you're home by yourself? Maybe for some of you, you know, you're, you're married and you say, well, that's not really an issue for me. Or, or, or is there frustration that's come in your relationship that, that's somehow centered around this? Men, maybe you would say, you know, if my wife would shop here a little more than I wouldn't have this frustration, but she doesn't ever help me out in this area. And so there's this, all this resentment because sex has become too big in your life. Are you more worried about physical intimacy or intimacy with God? Does one of these things have you? One of these things become false God in our life. Well, we want to look today at the story of Daniel because I want to tell you something. All of these things, once again, I want to reiterate this because I can't make this point enough. None of these things in themselves are bad, okay? Money's not bad. Food is not bad. Success is not bad. Entertainment, none of these things, this one's definitely not bad. None of these things in themselves are bad, but it's when they become when they get out of position, when they take the wrong position in our place. See, these things make great servants, but they make horrible masters. And what we're going to talk about today is how to dethrone these things in our life. So we're in the book of Daniel. We're in Daniel chapter 3. And I want to give you a little background on the story. This is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, one of the classic Bible stories. And so it's 605 B.C., and Babylon has um, conquered Israel, and um, Israel becomes subject to Babylonian rule. And so the Babylonians had this uh, thing they would do. They would enslave, like, the best and brightest of the people they conquered and bring them over into Babylon, assimilate them into Babylonian culture, and raise them up to be leaders because they figure, hey, we're going to take the best and the brightest, and we're going to make them work for us. Pretty, pretty smart, pretty, uh, pretty um, savvy thing to do. And so King Nebuchadnezzar, who's the, the king of Babylon at this time, he's got all these people including the Israelites, that he's conquered, and they're all in Babylon. He has this idea, you know, he's like, I've got all these people that are kind of this mixed bag. You know, they come from all these different places. They come from all these different religions, backgrounds, and races, and traditions. And so I need to figure out a way to kind of unite them to make them Babylonian. So he has this idea. His advisors come to him. This is all found in verses 1 through 7, by the way, that his advisors come to him and says, hey, we've got this idea. Why don't you build a giant gold statue of yourself? We'll put it in town square. We'll get the musicians together. They'll come and they'll start, you know, playing some chords. And when they do that, everyone will bow down to the statue and then they'll recognize you're the guy, Nebuchadnezzar. You're the source of power. You're the one that they're going to look to from now on. You're going to have to leave your traditions behind. You're going to have to leave whatever it is you had before behind and now recognize that you, King Nebuchadnezzar, are the power. And so Nebuchadnezzar says, man, Brilliant idea. Let's go ahead and do that. And I, I think what's, what's interesting here is that, is that point that Nebuchadnezzar is saying, hey, when, when I build this statue and I'm making you bow down to me, what I'm saying to you is no matter what you used to believe, no matter what you used to know, no matter what thoughts you used to have, you're going to look to me. You're going to look to Nebuchadnezzar now as your source. 
I'm going to be the source of your provision. I'm going to be the source of your safety. I'm going to be anything you need, you're going to get it from me. And what I think is interesting is that our false idols today say the same thing to us. Whatever you need, you're going to get it from me. Do you need to feel secure? You know how you're going to feel secure? You're going to feel secure when you fill this up, when you work for money. When you get enough money, then you're going to feel secure. Then you're going to feel like you made it. Then you're going to feel like you're some. You know, when, you, when you've had a bad day, do you know what you really need? You need some comfort, man. You need to just curl up with a big bowl of ice cream. You need to hit that drive through. You just need to eat your cares away. And it'll make you feel better, man. I will make you feel good. I will be the source of everything you need. You know, if you don't feel like anybody, you need to work your way to the top. You need to climb the ladder. You need to get yourself noticed. You need to become successful. You need to drive a better car. You need to move in the better house. Then you'll be someone. Just worship me. And man, I'm going to give you everything that you need. If you had a rough day, man, you need to relax. You know, just don't, don't worry if three, four, or five hours go by and you don't spend time with your kids. Man, you need to relax and you need to spend some time with me. I will make your cares go away. I'll make you feel better. You know, if you could just have this, if you, if you just, no matter how bad it is, if you could just get more of this, you'll, you'll feel better. You'll feel better about yourself. You'll be satisfied. If, if your spouse would just treat you better, if your spouse would, whatever it is, then just worship at this altar and you'll feel better. You'll be satisfied. Those, they're promising this thing. Bow down to me and I'll give you what you need. The same thing Nebuchadnezzar was saying. Bow down to me and I will be the source of everything that you need. See, but the thing is, this may be true for a while, but these false gods, they are never satisfied. They're never satisfied. See, Nebuchadnezzar, why did he want the people to bow? So he could seem benevolent? No, so he could take them into further slavery. He wanted them to bow so that they would become more associated with Babylonian culture and he could enslave them further and they would have no desire to leave and they would be his servants forever. When these things want more from you, it's not, you're not going to find freedom by giving them more. You're not going to find release by giving into more. You're going to find further captivity. You're going to find further enslavement. You're going to find yourself working later. You're going to find yourself saying just one more bite. You're going to find yourself saying just one more time on that website, just one more hour on this game and just more and more and more because these false gods they are never satisfied and they don't desire to set you free they don't want to give you liberty they want to lead you into further slavery they want to lead you into further captivity these false gods do not have your best interest in mind they only have one goal and that is to enslave you and to dethrone god in your life false gods over promise they under deliver They're a counterfeit that cannot satisfy your soul. The promises are empty. So today I want to real quickly look, what, what gives these things power in our lives? Because I think sometimes intellectually we kind of know this, that, you know, that, okay, there's things in my life that can get above God, and, and I don't want to keep going back, but I do. So what gives these false gods power in their life? We're going to look at Daniel chapter 3, verse 12. So Nebuchadnezzar builds the statue, the musicians play, everyone bows down. Pick it up in verse 12. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They're talking to Nebuchadnezzar. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue that you have set up. The question I want to ask you out of the scripture, so the whole nation of Israel was enslaved. But when the music played, when the rubber met the road, only three guys stood up and didn't bow. What happened to the rest of the nation? What happened to the rest of the Jewish people that only three people stood up? 
when the time for them when the time came to make a decision. These were the same people that heard the stories of God's deliverance in Egypt. These were the same people that heard the stories of God parting the sea and then leading across the desert and then going and taking the promised land. These were the same people that heard the stories of God crumbling the walls of Jericho. David and Goliath that we just talked about over the last few weeks. Where was the rest of the nation? Why is it only three people stood up and the rest of the nation bowed a knee? And I would submit to you today that the villain that we're looking at, the power behind the power, the true villain that we're looking at today is the one of doubt. See, I think, and, and this is key, this is the key point I want to make today, and I want you to write this down, is that doubt gives power to the false gods in our lives. Doubt gives power to the false gods in our lives. See, the rest of the nation heard that thing, and they knew those stories. They knew the stories of God's provision for them, but in that moment, they said, you know, I don't know if God's going to come through this time. I don't know if he's really going to come through this time, so I better bow a knee. I better bow a knee because I need to watch out for myself, and, and I know that God, I, I know all these stories of what God's done in the past, but where is he now? I don't, I don't know, so I'm going to bow a knee. And only three people had the courage to stand up in the face of their doubt and not bow a knee to the false idol. In Daniel chapter 3, verse 15, Nebuchadnezzar brings Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in because they're, they're good people. They work for him, you know, and, and he doesn't want to just kill them. He wants to give them a chance. So he brings them in, and he says in verse 15, I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? It's almost as if you can hear the voice of doubt speaking through Nebuchadnezzar to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm getting ready to throw you in the fire. And when I do that, what God of yours can save you from what I'm getting ready to do? I'm your source. I'm the one that you, not this God. What God, can, can, can he save you from the fire? Can he save you from financial collapse when you feel insecure? Can he save you when your job runs out? Can he save you when the money runs dry? Can he save you when you need comfort? Can he save you when you feel like nobody? Can he save you when you don't feel satisfied? Can he save you when you need to unplug and things are going on and, and crazy and hectic in your life? Can he save you when you feel like you just need to get a release but you don't know how? Can he save you in the moment of the fire? What God can save you from this. And what they're saying is, he can't. Bow to me. Bow to me. And he's just trying to instill doubt. He's trying to instill doubt. Where is your God? Where is your God? He's not going to be able to save you from the furnace. And that doubt is what keeps us running back to false gods in our lives. Because we think, God, maybe you won't come through this time. So I need to figure out my own way. I need to figure out a way that's tangible. I need to figure out a way that, that I can grasp, that I can put my head around. So God, I'm not going to bow to you, God. I'm, I'm just going gonna, gonna to run and I'm going to do my own thing. Heavy in here now. Heavy. All right, so how do we defeat these false gods? Let's, let's start getting some hope because it's kind of heavy. So Daniel chapter 3, verse 17 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't need time to think about it. They don't need time to evaluate. This is what they say. Talking to the king. King, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But say this with me. Even if he doesn't, say it again, even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will, that we will, that we will, that we will never serve your God or bow to the golden statue that you have set up. Church, I want to submit to you today that 
you and I, in order to keep these things in their proper place, in order to have that kind of confidence in God that stands in the face and in the voice of doubt, when the voice of doubt says, where is your God? When the voice of doubt says, he will not save you. When the voice of doubt says, you need to bow to me because there is no other way out that you and I need to develop an even if he doesn't kind of faith. And even if he doesn't kind of faith. There are three characteristics, three declarations I want us to look at. I would encourage you to write these down. I would encourage you to internalize these. These are the three declarations of even if he doesn't faith. The first declaration of even if he doesn't faith is this. My outlook is not tied to my outcome. My outlook is not tied to my outcome. What was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's outlook? They were looking right at the blazing furnace. That was their outlook. Fire, certain death, calamity, nothing good. That was their outlook. Trouble and trouble was coming was their outlook. But they knew their outcome was not tied just to their outlook. They knew their outcome was not tied to what they saw. They knew their outcome lied in the hands of God. Our outlook is not tied to our outcome. That's the first declaration of even if he doesn't faith. The second declaration is this. My circumstances won't shake my confidence. My circumstances won't shake my confidence. They looked at that king and they said, you know what? The God whom we serve is able. And they had the confidence to say in the midst of the fire, in the midst of the circumstances, in the midst of soldiers around them, in the midst of a nation that was conquered, in the midst of them being the only three that didn't bow to the idol, they said the God whom we serve is able. They didn't lose sight of who God was in the midst of the circumstances. They didn't lose sight of his promise. They didn't lose sight of his power in the midst of certain death, in the midst of certain calamity. They said, you know what? My confidence is not determined by my circumstances. My confidence is determined by who God is, by what God says he is, by what God has done. And I know, Nebuchadnezzar, that no matter what circumstance I am, I'm confident that the God whom I serve is able to save me. The final declaration of even if he doesn't faith, and my favorite one is my problems don't determine God's position. My problems don't determine God's position. That no matter what they face, this said, we will never serve your gods. We're never going to bow down to your false gods. We're never going to give in to the temptation to take the easy way out because my problems don't allow these things to all of a sudden take the place of God. My problems don't allow me to compromise my faith even for one moment, even when it benefits me, even when it would be easier just to bow for a little bit, even when it would be easier just to make a small compromise, even when it would be easier just to make a small misstep. Surely God would understand. Surely God would understand if they would have just bowed to save their lives. But they said, no, my problems don't determine God's position. Church, we need to develop an even if he doesn't faith that no matter what we face, no matter what obstacles come, no matter what troubles, no matter what trial, no matter what tribulation, we'll say, I'm resolute that I'm not going to let any false God take the place of the one true God. I'm not going to let them become higher. I'm not going to let them become greater. I am not going to bow to false gods in my life. I'm going to keep God number one and come hell or high water. My problems aren't going to determine his position. He's number one. He's number one in my life no matter what I face. Even if he doesn't, kind of faith. Swinging around to some more troubling news. The reason we need this faith, faith is because false gods are not easily deterred. Because they're not going to give up so easily. In verse 19 through 23, 
says Nebuchadnezzar gets so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his face becomes distorted with rage. He becomes so mad. I think I've hit that point once with my kids. The face becomes distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated up seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tie him up, throw him into the furnace, fully dressed, pants, turbans, robes, other garments. I don't, I don't know what else you can wear. And the king, because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers that threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. Man, doesn't it seem like when they made that stand in front of the king that God would have done something then? Doesn't it seem like, okay, they determined, you know what, we're not going to bow in Nebuchadnezzar. Nothing you do can say. Wouldn't it have been cool if God would have, boom, fire from heaven right there and just killed the king. It was like, sweet, we're done, we're out, drop the mic, see you later. But instead, when they stand up to the king, what happens? Stuff starts to get real. It starts to get a whole lot worse. And the reason we need to develop, even if he doesn't faith in our life, church, is because oftentimes, and this is painful, but it's true, oftentimes right choices lead to worse circumstances. Can I get in that? Anyone ever experienced right choices will lead to worse circumstances. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did the right thing. What happened? The furnace got heated up seven times hotter for them because they would not bow. I want to tell you something. If you don't bow to this God of money, what's going to happen? Your AC is probably going to go out. You ever done that? Oh, man, I'm going to make the right decisions. I'm going to do the right thing with my money. I'm going to give. I'm going to, I'm going to be generous. I'm going to, man, I'm going to be the generous, most generous person ever. And my AC went out, and now I need all my money. Man, I've had such a rough day. I just, oh, such a, but you know what? I'm going to honor God with my food. I'm, I'm going to, I, I know I'm not going to, I'm not going to live to eat. I'm, going to, I'm just going to eat to live, and then I'm, I'm not going to have a rough day. And you know what? That drive-thru with those super-sized fries and that extra-large Coke, it is calling my name. I speak from experience by this. I know I'm skinny, but man, I have like an 800-pound person inside of me, people. I mean, I can eat. I love to eat. It's calling my name. You know, I'm not going to worry. I'm going to give God success. I'm not going to measure myself up against other people. I'm not going to bow to this God. I'm not, what was that? Did my neighbor get a new BMW? Man, is that an X5? Oh, you know, I don't, I'm, man, I'm nobody. I've never thought that now. Come on. Come on. That's, that's not. These, these messages are not born out of personal struggle or anything. Come on, people. Beyond that. You know, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to honor God with my passion. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to honor God with my time. I'm not going to let myself get sucked in. Anymore. I'm going to turn off the phone. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to be strong. Oh, my fantasy football team is getting ready to make the playoffs. I need, I need, to, I need to get on that, and I'm going to, you know. You know, I'm. I'm going to honor God with this. I'm going to honor God with my sex life. I'm going to honor God with that. Until, my, until me and my wife get in a huge fight, and then all of a sudden I'm, al- I'm alone with the computer. Or until he doesn't do something I like, and I'm going to go read, I'm going to go read a, a novel and find some release that way. I, I'm going to honor, but, but you know, every time we make that decision, then, then the circumstances tend to get worse. And whatever, maybe, maybe it's something different in your life, but, but is there an area of your life where you, you've been doubting God and, and, and doubt creeps in? And then when you try to get better at that, when you say, God, okay, I'm tired of doubting you in this area. I'm going to do something about it, that it, that area gets worse. And that's why, church, we have to develop an even if he doesn't kind of faith. Because if not, the temptation will be to bow. The temptation will just be to take the easy way out. But if we have developed a faith that says, you know what, my outlook is not tied 
Uh, my, my outlook's not tied to my outcome. I know that God's in control of the outcome. My circumstances don't determine my confidence. I'm confident that God's able to save me no matter what. I know that my problems don't determine God's position. I'm not going to let my problems determine his position. I'm going to put God first no matter what, even if he doesn't. kind of faith is what we need. It's the most fundamental question, I think, that, that we're facing as a culture and as a, as, as a church. is Are we willing to draw a line in the sand? Say, no matter what, no matter what, no matter what, I'm going to serve God. No matter what, I'm going to choose to serve him. I'm not going to let anyone, I'm not going to let anything, I'm not going to let any problem shake me. I'm going to serve him no matter. This, this is the most fundamental question that we face today. Because it's so easy for us to get our priorities out of whack. It's so easy for us to do that. But there has to be something that rises up inside of your soul, inside of my soul, it says, you know, I'm not going to bow to this stuff anymore. I'm not going to give myself to this stuff anymore. No matter how hot the furnace gets, no matter how big the fire gets, I'm not going to let myself put other things in front of God Almighty. I'm not going to let myself give in to this God of money anymore. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to dethrone that God in my life. I'm going to find my security in God Almighty. I'm not going to find my security in money. You know what? I'm not going to look for the easy way out for food. I'm not going to look for the easy way out. God, I'm going to trust that your Holy Spirit is the comforter that I need. I'm going to trust that your Holy Spirit is the one that's going to give me comfort. And I'm not going to look to things just in the physical. You know, I'm, I, I got to be careful with this one. But I'm not going to... I'm not going to give in to the God of success. I'm not just going to chase the next rung on the corporate ladder. I'm not just going to chase the next thing to make me feel like I'm somebody. My identity is found in Christ, and I know that I am his masterpiece, and I am perfectly and fearfully and wonderfully made, and no amount of success, no title, no money can ever change that. So I'm not going to chase that. I'm not going to chase the God of entertainment. I'm not going to chase the thing that just keeps trying to fill me up with cheap thrills and cheap passion. I'm going to become passionate about the one who made me. I'm going to become compassionate and passionate about God and about people and about loving them. And I'm not going to just waste my life away trying to find the next fix. I'm not going to waste my life away on my phone or on Facebook or on the PlayStation. I'm going to give myself to God. I'm going to give my passion to God. I'm not going to let the God of sex have control of me. I'm going to rise up and be a man and woman of integrity. I'm going to love my wife no matter what. I'm going to love God no matter what. And I'm going to find my intimacy. I'm going to find my satisfaction in him. And I'm going to dethrone these gods in my life. And I'm going to say, God, no matter what I have, and even if you don't faith, God, even if it gets tough, even if I don't see the answer, even if it seems troublesome, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. My problems aren't going to determine your position, God. I'm not going to let these false gods win anymore. So Daniel 3, well, let me back up a little bit first. So, so false gods aren't removed. They're replaced. And I want to give you some handles. Maybe, maybe there's some things you need to do in your life that you've identified. And, and it may be one of these. maybe a different area. Maybe a different area that, that doubt has creeped in and you've realized that you've turned to a false God instead of the one true God in your life. Maybe, maybe for that God of money, maybe you need to start giving to dethrone that, to dethrone its power. Maybe you need to start giving. Maybe, maybe if your God is food and you're always looking to food for the comfort and, and you're always looking for food for a pigment, maybe you need to fast. Maybe you need to pray about going on a fast and giving that to God. Maybe for entertainment, maybe, maybe you need to turn it off. Maybe you need to unplug for a little bit. Put up the phone, put up, unplug, unplug the TV, unplug the, unplug the uh, video game consoles and just, man, and 
read a book or just do something that, that is spend some time with the kids, just get on the floor and play with them or whatever it is. Maybe you need to unplug from entertainment for a while. Maybe if your God is success, maybe you need to start serving, start giving back. Maybe get plugged in at Abba Center, get plugged in on a core team and start giving back and realizing that it's not all about you. It's not all about uh, what you can get. Or maybe if your God's success, maybe it's just simply a confession. Confession to your wife, confession to your husband, confession to someone that you trust about what's going on in your thought life, about what's going on, where your frustrations are coming from, and about your desire to start giving that to God. Or if you're going through the fire this morning, you're going through that fire of doubt, I encourage you to grab onto those three declarations of even if he doesn't faith, because I believe they'll carry you through. Stan, why don't you go ahead and come on up, buddy. We'll, uh, we'll close out. In verse 25, Nebuchadnezzar throws him into the fire, and um, he looks in and he says, Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men walking unbound, walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a God. Some translations say the fourth looks like the Son of God. Church, I want to tell you, when you smash the idols, when you make that decision that God and God alone is going to be first in your life, an amazing thing happens. The Son of God himself, Jesus Christ, comes right beside you in the midst of your fire, in the midst of the furnace, right there through the flames, right there through the hurt, right there through the problem. He says, I'm with you. I'm going to stand right beside you. And you're not going to go through this fire alone. You're not going to go through this furnace alone because you have put me in the right place. Man, I've got you. Son, I've got you. I want to ask us to bow our heads.